Welcome to Talking Much Yourselves, the Fan Entertainment Talkie Podcast. And today we're going over even more media from the lockdown. I'm still Mike. And I'm still Darren. Now, we are unfortunately back to our old ways of not being in the same room, which sucks. Yeah, my bad. Um, I was nuclear hot last night, so we're taking some precautions. <laughs> Plus, the West Midlands seems likely to be in a further state of lockdown by Monday. So this may have to return to being the norm, unfortunately. But... We weathered the storm first time round. I'm sure we'll be able to manage it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might just mean uh, more pitches that we're going to have to figure out. Even though stuff is coming out now and we do have stuff to discuss, we're going to do like a big bulk of things that we've played, watched, whatever, mm-hmm. here, and then try and do some newer stuff going forward. So, you know, we've still got um, Bill, Bill and Ted 3 in the pipeline as soon as we can actually see it. Because, good yeah. God, is cinema on its arse at the minute? Well... <laughs> I say this, as you know, I'm a, I am used to work at a showcase cinemas and uh, the news came out uh, last week that Cineworld was temporarily closing and I was on a call the next day uh, with a lot of business people that were all lamenting the, uh, the I say demise, the temporary demise of Cineworld and I was asked to be there like, oh yeah, it's terrible, whilst on the inside going, <laughs> fuck them. Um, you know, bad news for anyone who works there. I do genuinely have sympathy for that. But, you know, you've got to look after your home team. Um, so you might meet people actually go to Walsall Showcase, which, again, I implore you to do because you could have adhered to social distancing before the lockdown at Walsall Showcase. So you can <laughs> yes. definitely do it now. They've got a lot of Halloween movies coming. So, you know, go, go, go and support your local cinema if you can. Yeah, and on top of that, a lot of films are now skipping. Well, I'll say a lot of films. Notable films are now either completely skipping the mm. um, the winter movie window for next year, like adding anywhere between three and twelve months to their release schedule. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Disney who are just like fuck it, Souls going on to Disney Plus. So not for good. a premium either. It seems like it's just going to be available to stream on Christmas Day. Um, yeah. What that says about the quality of said movie, I don't know, but uh, there we go. They. I, I've been in seeing the trailer for Soul. I always felt it was a bit of like a, mm, is this going to be a good dinosaur all over again? Yeah, it's, it's going to be an Inside Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not. Yeah, it, <laughs> which it looks a... a lot like Inside Out, which is which is bad bombing. Yeah, for a lot of people, us saying it might be the next Inside Out is like, oh my god, I must see it. It's like I implore you to listen to our old podcasts and yeah, do uh, not in hear what we thought about that piece of shit. Mm-mm. But yeah, you're right. The only two movies that are still tentatively scheduled this year is uh death on the nile yeah uh, apparently it's is meant to be the next one that hasn't changed its date yet and then uh free guy the ryan reynolds video game movie is still tentatively scheduled for december that's everything not, else that's actually not all of them um oh, wonder not? woman 1984 moved yeah. again to december mm-hmm. um but it remains to be seen if that will actually go ahead and the last we heard <laughs> The Eddie Murphy movie coming to, as in number two, America, is supposed to be coming out in December. Right. I fucking highly doubt it. No, I doubt it completely. Because, I mean, it's terrible, the state of the world at the moment, and, and, you know, all these films being delayed. But that means next year we, we might have to, like, double up for podcasts every week with the amount of films that are going to be coming out. God damn. Glut just... is hopefully going to be the the phrase of the year. I was just looking at the because I have a list of movies I've seen across the year and um, luckily I've still managed to get at least one a month. 
Like there was a huge glut in January and February, and then like March, April, May, June, July, August, it's looking a bit grim. September pig pig back up. October looked okay, and now November has fucking nothing. Bugger there up. is nothing coming out in November. Do you know whose job I don't want at the moment? The Who's program that? commissioner for Sky Movies, because <laughs> what the fuck are they going to do on premiere? in like they've maybe got uh, maybe a month left before all the january and february ones that came in cinema are now on sky movies what the fuck do they do then uh, they're gonna have to like bundle in like either six months of netflix or disney plus in with the with like the price of a package or something yeah because 1917 and uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood are premiering this month on sky movies that must mean that the only one they've got left to do is um Oh my god, the Taika Waititi Hitler one. Uh, Jojo, Jojo Rabbit. Rabbit? Of course, yeah, that's probably the only one they've got left that, like, actually premiered and got out before everything shut down. Or that Vin Diesel one. Then, who the fuck do they do? Because <laughs> those <laughs> mad bastards have changed from one premiere every week to one premiere every day. So, if there's a lot, a lot of Netflix shows that you would never give the time of day, even if it was the only media available left in the world, they're going to have to be the premieres on Sky Movies. <laughs> Oh god! Are they going to have to actually like go and get Parasite? Are they going to have to go and pay to get Parasite? That would I, be quite funny. I think so. I think that's coming on Amazon Prime this month as well. So maybe, uh, maybe. Yeah. But let's not talk about hypotheticals of what we will hopefully see. Let's talk about what we have seen. What would you like to start with, Michael? I've got games, TV shows, and films. Well, we we are primarily a film show, so let's start yeah. with the films. Okay, so I've got five. Most of which were films I just hadn't got round to watching. The only new one is Mulan, which I don't think you've seen yet. Not yet. It, it is ready to watch. Um, obviously, I've got Disney Plus, so it is ready to watch whenever. I also have five um, that kind of like scatter across the year. So do you want to kick off with your first one? Do you want to make it Mulan? Because I do intend to watch it, but you can do Mulan if you want to. We may have missed the boat a little bit on relevant reviews for Mulan because... That was like two months ago, so I'll, I'll give a little. I'll give a little um, opinion. Basically, this is my uh, fiance's favorite film ever, the animated one. Um, yeah, the original, so surely. This was a, a very anticipated one. We were going to make a big deal out of it when it was scheduled to come out like a normal film. Um, so we, we 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 made a nice night of it, but it's fine. It's like all this Disney live action uh, remakes. It's fine. It misses. The only thing it misses in abundance that the first one had is charm. That's almost completely not there. It's very... They went down the serious route with this. Obviously, they've removed all the musicals. They removed uh, Wuju the Dragon. That's all gone. So it's lost a lot of the whimsy and the character and the heart of things. And what it replaces it with in terms of like the big battles and, and the cool new choreography and you know actually taking the story seriously isn't bad necessarily, but it's just not as good as what the uh, the animated version was so it's fine like i was going to pay for it anyway so that was never really a question of value in my house it was always going to be brought on the premium thing but i don't think you need to if uh you're on the fence about this you can definitely wait until this becomes free on disney plus at some point soon i don't think it's going to be on the premium pass for too much longer before they actually just bring it to free disney plus but uh yeah not, not one to rush out on but not necessarily bad just functional like all these disney live action remakes i think that's a problem with all of them though i don't think there's been a single one that's even come close to, ah, no i tell a lie the jungle book is better than the original yep 
yeah, just flat out, that was the only one that they managed to absolutely knock it out of the park with. Yeah, I'm not the, I finally watched Aladdin as well, um, and I don't think that was too bad. It was fine, but it, it's the thing is, you've either got to go, you've either got to stick to what is there, but amplify everything and make everything, you know, just nail it better than you did the first time round. Which I think with a beloved one, you're not going to be able to do because you're fighting against the forces of nostalgia, and that's never gonna, you know, that's never gonna win you over. You've got to, you've got to pick one of the middling Disney movies that people like and remember, but it's not their favourite necessarily. Then you can stick to the script and then just embellish everything. Or you've got to go in a different direction, which is what it looked like Mulan was going to do, and go, no, we're going to do a serious Chinese war film. And it never, because it's Disney, they don't really go for it in that respect. They kind of half-heartedly do it, and that kind of robs it of its chance to stand alone as like, you know, this is so, it's it's Mulan in name only, but that's not a bad thing. It's it's the same characters and the same story for the most part, but it's it's different and therefore good in its own way. I feel like that's the kind of stuff that Disney does with, the, well, what I hope they will do with their uh, 20th century pictures division now is yeah. that that's all the serious shit that they want to do they just put out under that name mm. it makes me very scared for deadpool very very scared for deadpool but since it's coming out under marvel studios i think they can afford to take a few more risks and uh, I, I just don't think they picked the right talent for these live action remakes they they've really locked down john favreau into the disney house now because mm. he did jungle book he's doing mandalorian oh my god mandalorian season two is at the end of this month it jesus is. christ I've just remembered that. Um, but they choose really weird people to uh, to come on board these. I mean, chief among which, I haven't seen Aladdin, but getting Guy Ritchie it was a weird move for Disney. Especially yeah. when the the film that he had out this year, Segway, was really good. Oh, The Gentleman? Yeah, I was really surprised by The Gentleman. Ah, okay. Very pleasantly surprised. It, it kind of feels like a... Um, like obviously it's it's a 2020 guy Ritchie movie so it has to do something that tangibly different from snatch and lockstock and it does it in really an entertaining way now i, I will throw my hands up and say i'm not that still not that keen on matthew mcconaughey and his role in this movie is fucking enormous he's the he's the lead guy and it's weird hearing an american person be the lead in a gritty on the ground guy Ritchie movie but because the absurdity is absolutely ramped up at every possible place, it really, really does work. Funnily enough, I think Charlie Hunnam not only has the best role, but he's the best performer and has the, flat out the best scene. Um, there is a there is a sequence where he goes into like this um, crack den apartment to uh, rescue a like a lord's daughter like, as part of like a, a deal that they have to um, c- continue like a marijuana operation going. Um, and oh wow it's like it, it's like tarantino level dialogue from guy Ritchie. it's so good i'm really really surprised i i, I think that like the action could do with a bit more hmm. I, I feel like he can do it like we saw the trailers for aladdin it's not like he can't shoot chase scenes he can't shoot action but the absurdity of the situations in the gentleman is what stop it from being a good action film because right. there's not that many shootouts, there's not that many chases. There's the one chase I can think of. It's Charlie Hunnam trying to chase down a youth on a bike, and that's the only one there is, I think. Ah. Although I do enjoy the framing device for the entire story. You're kind of hearing about this internal gang war 
over these large uh, marijuana farms all across London with all these wonderful, colourful characters. But the framing device is that Hugh Grant is playing a journalist, blackmail Charlie Hunnam. And he's like, he's literally saying, I wrote a script, like a movie script, about all of the shit you've done. And he's kind of like reading out the stage directions and then the movie happens. It's it's actually really genuinely well written. I was really shocked considering that I don't think he's had... He hasn't topped Snatch, in my opinion. No. Snatch is still the best one. I mean, Snatch mm-hmm. and Lockstock are like on a level, but I, mm-hmm. I prefer Snatch because you like dags. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no... I was re- I do recommend you check this one out. It is surprisingly high octane fun. There is a great f- sense of them understanding that London has evolved and changed. There's a lot more of South London in this film as well. There's a lot more of that culture, and it's really funny. There you go. Recommendation for a Guy Ritchie film in 2020. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> Starring Charlie Goddamn Hunter of all. I know it's weird. He's <laughs> okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna take your word on that. I'm gonna add that to the bottom of the list of what to watch next. What <laughs> to watch next? There we go. I'm gonna add Gentleman. Cool. This is a learning experience for all of us. Um, <laughs> right. So mine again. A lot of people have had a lot of chance to see these, but these are just things that I was like doing a box ticking exercise of. So I still haven't got round to watching The Godfather 2, which I really need to do because it took me my entire life to watch the first part of uh, the Godfather trilogy. And even though I still have surplus time on my hands, I haven't got round to number two because I didn't like it all that much. Which I feel can <laughs> like take a lot of credibility off me if I had any anyway, but uh, there we go. <laughs> but Godfather 2 is meant to be like The Empire Strikes Back, which again is insulting to the most people for me to say it that way around. But uh, there we go. Anyway... Um, I finally got round to watching Jumanji The Next Level. Uh, I've still not seen the first Jumanji. (laughs) I I really recommend the first one. And you know what? I I actually think the second one holds up just fine. Um, It's it's weird. They they change up the the plan. So in the first one, uh, The Rock, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, and who's the other one? Uh, Oh, and uh, Karen Gillan are playing for teenagers. Um... And they they stick to those roles they all the way through the film. That's like the framing device. So it's very funny. It's a it's a good. See, there, there's an example of taking you know the ideas of the original Jumanji, and taking it in a new direction. So it feels familiar, but it also gives it a lot more room to grow, a lot more chance to you know stand by itself. Um, the first one does a really good job of that. It doesn't. There's a lot of people obviously worried about it being a reboot, but it's not. It's basically a sequel because they 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 at least in one way subtly remind you that this is very much connected to the original one which is very nice uh, it's very well handled um in the second one um the two of the some of the teenagers are still involved and they are playing their avatars again but you also get um danny danny glover and um why can't i remember his name oh my god uh, uh, he's from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's the little guy. Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito, of course, it is. My brain's not working today. Sorry. <laughs> so it's Danny DeVito and Danny Glover are played by uh, Danny DeVito. is played by The Rock, and Danny Glover is played by Kevin Hart. And I think I mentioned this before last time. You want to watch this because Kevin Hart's impression of Danny Glover is immense. Yeah, I can um, believe that. It's 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 fantastic. Everyone tries to do a Danny DeVito, but no one really does it other than Aquafina when she gets a chance. And somehow <laughs> Aquafina has the best uh, Danny DeVito impression in her. But 
yeah, it's it's definitely worth a watch. I I I, I think I liked it just maybe not as much as the first one because I think you know that's the first time round. It's it's original, but they find enough ways to keep it spicy in this one that it kind of works. So yeah, if you've got time, I think it's just come on Sky Movies. It, you'll be able to find it. We actually paid for it off Amazon Prime because we just was like, eh, it's five pound. We got nothing else to do tonight. We're not spending money on anything else. Let's let's have a go on this. But yeah, uh, if you got a chance, check that out. Fair enough. Cool. Um, bear with me. I'm trying to decide which one I should go with next. I'll go. I'll go chronological, shall I? Um, so I, I've been catching up on a lot of my other uh, missed movies from January because that was a stacked month, especially with the Oscars. Um, and I still not got round to it because I have other things I like to do. But I did finally get round to watching Greed, which is um, it's. I won't call it Steve Coogan's new movie. It's a new movie starring Steve Coogan. It's actually written and directed by uh, Michael Winterbottom, who did 24-Hour Party People, also with Steve Coogan. Yeah, maybe it is a new Steve Coogan movie, thinking about mm. it. Either way, I had really high hopes for this one. When you think about the cast that's in this, this should have been fucking brilliant. So there's Steve Coogan, David Mitchell, Asa Butterfield, Isla Fisher, and like a bunch of other... like smaller like british um comedy faces so, like asim chowdhury turns up sophie cookson turns up johnny sweet turns up there's a lot of like good talent in this and it ain't great <laughs> it's a real big problem that oh. this is just not good in any respect there's there's no real standout mo i tell a lie there is a couple of standout sequences that don't feature any of the people you want to be funny and that's a big problem Right. Um, the standout performance for me um, actually comes from Jamie Blackley, who plays the sort of teenage version of Steve Coogan as they explain his backstory. The basic premise is that Steve Coogan is this um, like fashion tycoon figure who used to like buy and sell up fashion chains um, across the United Kingdom and then later the world and then basically rinse them for all the money, put them into liquidation and then shoot them off. Um, and it's about how he has basically kind of eradicated every friendship he'd ever had and is now making like one last ditch attempt to host a massive celebrity filled party to gain favor with the rich again. It, it's real. It's real weird. It, it, it's something that should have worked so well because Steve Coogan is so good at playing unlikable assholes. The problem is, is that I don't dislike him enough and it's just I'm expected to dislike him. They, they they go for really, really, really cheap shots um, of just getting you to not like this character. So about 20 minutes in, they're, they're kind of build. They're trying to build like a novelty version of Rome on the Greek island of Mykonos. Um, mm -hmm. And they're trying to host a beach party as well. But then there are some Syrian refugees that are on the beach in tents. And, of course, the first thing that the Steve Coogan character wants is to this, for them to just be gone. And I'm like, yeah, I get it, okay, but I need to know more. And then you you see the backstory of Steve Coogan's character, and it's this kind of, like, oddly charismatic Del Boy-like figure who dropped out of a private school. And you, 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 you kind of want him to succeed. It, it kind of really undoes itself because he's, a, he's an outcast almost the entirety of his life and the only thing that makes him the villain is the ghastly amount of money he has and the way that he's rinsed businesses dry but you don't get to see that there's there's a sequence where he even goes to india to go and basically recruit a sweatshop and i i should feel disgusted with what i'm seeing as that is the point of the film and i just 
felt nothing because the comedy when we we came back to it was really weak david mitchell this is not his best performance isla fisher not bad asa butterfield completely wasted it it only runs for about oh god so it's 104 minutes according to wikipedia it's not a long film and yet it feels wasted it feels like they didn't get to the point quick enough and the ending is genuinely genuinely disappointing it it does this whole loaded gun thing do you have have any intention of seeing this film did you know about this film Uh, i've heard of it but i have no intention of watching it i'm not the biggest steve coogan fan in the world so no this is not one for me to watch fair enough well they they do a big loaded gun thing uh with a lion there is a lion as part of this birthday celebration that's happening on mykonos and it's very obvious where the film's going and then when it arrives at this conclusion, it treats it like this big grandiose revelation. It it just feels empty. I, I, I cannot tell you how disappointed I was with this film. I was really looking forward to it, to be honest. I remember seeing the trailers back in January and thinking, that's going to be quite good. That's going to be like the hidden comedy hit of the year. And it was just nothing. It was just something that was on and something I'll probably forget in a few weeks. Right. Now, along those lines... We're going back a while now, not to January, but to the 80s. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people, when they're making teen, like, romance comedy type of thing, they always reference John Hughes movies. And it occurred to me, like, I don't think I've ever seen one. I think is I think Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a John Hughes movie. I'm going to check that. Because um, if I'll, that is... I'll double check it, yeah. Uh, thank you. If that is, I've seen one up until this one. Um but again, we were like, well, what do we watch? Da, da. Came out of that thing. So, right, let's watch a John Hughes movie. Yeah, um, Ferris Bueller counts. Okay, I've seen one. Um, and Ferris Bueller is fine. I, I, I like it enough. Um, Rachel had seen The Breakfast Club. And I was like, okay, let's try and find one we've neither seen. So, we landed on 16 Candles. Which ah. taught me something about the 80s. <laughs> which is, they must have had very bad movies, if this is fondly remembered. Because... <laughs> <laughs> nothing happens for two hours <laughs> it's such a vacuum of like because he's got molly ringwald who is like his muse his flame and she's not good um, she's not great she just spends the entire movie pouting that no one remembered her 16th birthday but nothing happens and i cannot convey this fact like i cannot press this enough that literally like for two hours like, okay it's gonna start getting funny you can have movies where not a lot happens, but they're very, very funny. Not a lot happens in Step Brothers, but it's very funny. Nothing funny happens. So you're like, okay, it must be a very well-taught like romance story or something like that. No, it's not that. So my only conclusion is that all of the movies released of this vein in the 80s were very bad. And this one at least was competent, and that got it a pass. Because, oh boy, oh boy, was this a slog. Um, so I, maybe I chose poorly and I should have gone for the breakfast club or something like that. But yeah, uh, I, I don't feel like there's a lot of you pondering whether you should be watching 16 candles or not. But if you ever find yourself in that situation, you heard it here first. Yeah. Don't need to watch 16 candles. Yeah. Yeah. Not missing anything, uh, game changing. And again, it just had to be like, we didn't know good movies were available until better movies were made. And, but people had nostalgia for 16 candles so apparently it's still somewhat relevant i think it must be one of those things that like it's because it's the interesting thing about this is it's john hughes's directorial debut 
Mm-hmm. Although he had written uh, three National Lampoon movies and co-written Mr. Mom before he did uh, 16 Candles. Right. But then you look at the films he made after 16 Candles in order, Weird Science, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like It oh. just it upticks directly after 16 it Candles. Does. This is the bottom of the bell curve. It also hasn't aged well. It is horrendously racist. <laughs> oh, God. There is a character called da, 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 Lung Duk Dong, um, who's oh, a Chinese okay. exchange student. Uh, and, and, oh boy, oh boy, it has not aged well. Lots of uh, lots of slurs that you wouldn't get away with these days, all that business. So, yep, yeah, don't need to watch 16 Candles. <laughs> Fair enough. A relevant that... update from the Fair Entertainment podcast. <laughs> the weird thing is that, like, um, I'd... I hadn't seen um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey up until this year. Oh, my God. I know. I'd seen... Obviously, I'd seen um, Excellent Adventure. That's a fucking classic. But I'd not seen Bogus Journey. And I sat through... Um, in preparation for Bill and Ted 3, when we finally get that done, uh, I'd sat through the first one again and then watched the second one. And, well, okay. The, it only happens once... But there is a horrific homophobic slur in Bogus Journey, and was not expecting it. But you're just so distracted by Station that you don't really notice it. Fucking Station. Oh, station. Man. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely do not understand why people do not like Bogus Journey. It's great. It's so good. I think it's like a Wayne's World 2 situation. where, Like, it's good, but it's just not as good. And that kind of... Then over time, you just remember it as, oh, that's the bad one. It's not necessarily bad, but it's remembered as the lesser one. And the shorthand for that is just, oh, that's the bad one. You don't need to bother with that one. Yeah. I- I'm hoping that there'll be something brought over from Bogus Journey into uh, Face the Music. I'm sure there will be. There's no way that Face the Music got made without fan Easter eggs being put into it. You'd like to think so. But anyway, I'm not here to talk about that particular comedy movie. Uh, I'm moving on to another kind of uh, comedy movie, a romantic comedy movie, a mm. murder mystery romantic comedy movie. Okay. Yeah, this is The Lovebirds. Uh, this uh, starred Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjiani and was released, was supposed to be coming out in cinemas, uh, but ended up being released on Netflix this March, May, 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 definitely May. Um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's solidly okay it, it's like it's black panther level painfully average in that there are moments that absolutely gleam and the rest is quite forgettable sludge ah. and it's it, I, I think i've just come to the conclusion that i just don't like kumail nanjiani i just don't get on board with the characters that he plays and this was absolutely one of these situations because Issa ray takes this movie and fucking runs with it she's so good and mm-hmm. she's held back at every stage by kumail nanjiani which makes me fucking terrified for the eternals because he's a big part of that film isn't he yeah he is well uh, real quick tangent i haven't written it down yet because i can't remember exactly when i watched it but i did get around to watching stuba and that simile is not a great movie um <laughs> my personal fractious relationship with uh, batista aside um Kamal Nanjali is not great in that movie, nor I, I haven't included it in my TV list because I haven't even finished the first season and the second season out now. He was in the first episode of the rebooted Twilight Zone. Oh, interesting. Um, and he was doing like a, he's a comedian and, um, but he makes the deal with the devil. Um, it's not 
he doesn't turn up as the devil. It's um, what's his face from Thirty Rock, uh, Tracy Morgan. Oh, um, right. And he makes a deal with him where basically, if he he's not a very good comedian, but if he tells personal stories about people, he gets laughs. Even if the material isn't funny, he gets massive laughs. But that person, once the routine over, like disappears, and no one can remember them other than Kenel and Johnny. It's not great. Um, it's so much so that Rachel was like, do we have to watch a second episode? And then explain, like, oh, it's an anthology, it's fine. So we watched a second episode of it, which has got... Um, oh, why am I so bad at bloody actors' names? Um, it's got Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec. Uh, Adam... Oh, right. Adam Devine? Adam... Not Devine, no, is it? No, not Adam Devine. Uh, Adam... Adam... Adam Scott, I want to say? Yeah. Yeah, my Adam Scott. Adam Scott. Uh, it's got him... Doing a riff on the Twilight episode with, um, oh my god, I'm really bad <laughs> with, um, oh, Star Trek, um, you play Kirk in Star Trek, the original Star Trek, the TV series, Shatner, Shatner? there we go, the oh, Shatner okay. Twilight episode with the gremlin on the wing that the Simpsons did oh, with the gremlin on the bus, yeah, yeah, yeah. they do a, a riff on that, there's no gremlin in it, unfortunately, but he, he picks up a, an MP3 player that tells him of the demise of the flight that he's on. That's better, but still not great. So I don't know if I'm going to really finish the Twilight Zone episode. But uh, yeah, Canal Ninjani did not help the first episode of that either. So yeah, maybe we should be worried about the Eternals. Maybe we should be. I know there's other good people in the Eternals, but uh, I'm pretty sure that he's a very central role. He's not the central role because that's... um... Oh, fuck, Rob Rob Stark? Well, we don't know. It's either going to be Rob Stark or it's going to be Kit Harrington. Yeah, I haven't really come down on whether it's going to be Kit Harrington's a point of view character who's not an Eternal, or if it's Rob Stark who has got a name, but fuck it, he's Rob Stark. Yeah, uh, he is Rob Stark. <laughs> I know we've both cast him in Epic episodes, and yet he's still referred to him as Rob Stark. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's just so good, though. He's really Which, good. By the way, if you, you know, you've got a lot of time, hands. If you ever want to finish Game of Thrones, now is the time. This is true. Although after that, after that finale, I don't think it's no, worth it. No, probably not. <laughs> Anyway, the conversation we just had is more interesting than the Lovebirds. Um, <laughs> it's, it's fine enough. So the, the basic premise is, is that they, um, Issa Rae and Kumar Nanjiani play this couple, Lalani and Jabron, um, who kind of meet. I think it's implied that it's like a Tinder date thing. Um, and that's the first. They try to do like a, a reverse up situation. So like they meet and they have the first date and then it skips four years into the future and they're having a horrific argument and they break up. Um as they break up and are driving like to a party, I believe, which is going to be like the last event they'll attend together, they get carjacked um, by a dude claiming to be a police officer who then uses their car to repeatedly run over a dude. Um, they then like discover a phone on the body of the, of the dude they ran over and th- madness happens. A, a kind of a weird what's the word I'm looking for? Conspiracy, I guess, starts to unfold and they basically try to solve the murder that they have been privy to, all the while being chased by the police who may or may not be on their side. It's fine. There's a really good scene. I mean, Issa Rae is good in all the scenes, but there's a really good one where they break into a dude's apartment um, and they're like interrogating this frat boy. Um, and they they try to pass it off that they know them to begin with until Issa Rae just launches at the dude and pins him down. Like, that bit's funny. And then the rest feels like a bunch of cheap laughs, even though it's quite dark material. They end up... There's a scene... The bit where it lost me 
is that they they are trying to unlock this phone that they've uh, taken off this this guy that got ran over, and they get it unlocked and they end up going to this party, and it's like it evolves into this big masked orgy, and it it just isn't funny. It just that there was so much potential for there to be a certain edge to this, but they just they can't go two minutes without making a Kumar Nanjiani is not comfortable with his masculinity joke, right. and it's very one note from that character almost the entire way through. Yeah, I just this could have been really good. I think this 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 is lost at the script writing stage because the talent they've got is all right. It's pretty good. Yeah. But it, it just, it could have gone better on the laughs. I think if this had gone to cinemas, it wouldn't have done very well at all. I think the fact that it's on Netflix might have saved it. Gives it that pass, don't it, that you're not expecting as as high a quality. Which is absurd, because you're paying for Netflix. You should still expect some level of quality. However, there is a very schlocky TV show they put out that I cannot wait to talk about in a second. Nice. Um, real quick, I'll, I'll do... One of my last ones, really quickly. I finally got around to watching Murder on the Orient Express. Ooh. Very boring. Um, <laughs> it just did. It just didn't tickle my my pickle at all. Just found it very dull and was kind of nodding off during the middle part of it. Uh, great cast, but oh, yeah. and I and I think they actually do a, a um, Kenneth Brown does a decent job as Poirot. Like it's definitely not David Chazelle at all. They've moved completely in the other direction from that. His moustache for one is is very elaborate. Oh yeah, but that's probably the highlight of the film. It's otherwise a bit snare. I'm not saying I wouldn't watch Death on the Nile um, if the reviews are good enough. I just think this kind of claustrophobic kind of bottle mystery it just wasn't very wasn't very good, and the, the payoff isn't very, particularly satisfying either. Yeah, um, I feel like if you haven't seen Murder on the Orient Express before, that yeah. ending is not great. Yeah, I think yeah. it's only good because it is a classic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Lost on me. So, real quick, I'll finish my last one. This is uh, How to Build a Girl, uh, which is the... <laughs> okay, I hope that's a film. Uh, yeah, it is, it is. Uh, it was, um, it's, do you know um, Caitlin Moran? Yes. Uh, Derry the... Girls, is that her? Uh, yeah, she I, she did that, but she's from Wolverhampton. She did Raised by Wolves as well. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah. she's a big, like, you know, she's a big writer. Um, so for, and this is, like, her semi-autobiographical um uh, film about her life growing up in Wolverhampton. They weirdly, considering she is from Wolverhampton, they got um, what is her name? It's uh, this again. Bear with me, I'm gonna have to look it up because my brain is just not fucking working today. Um, to Excuse, you're not right feeling very well. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm not even using the right keyboard. Fuck's sake, <laughs> good God, Darren. Because I've got, I've only got two USB slots on the on the laptop. I've got to choose between either plug in because I've got to plug the microphone, I've got to plug the mouse, the mouse in or the keyboard. Um, and I went with mouse, so I keep typing on my work keyboard and nothing's happening. Uh, Kelly Moran and her name is Bernie Feldstein. There we go. I can't remember who it was. Um, despite being from Wolverhampton, uh, they chose Bernie Feldstein to play her who is an American and is Jonah Hill's sister. Um, and she has a... It's Beanie Feldstein. What the shit? Yeah. Elizabeth Greer, in then in quotations, Beanie Feldstein. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, she has... She apparently... Apparently, she did work in a shop in Wolverhampton 
for two months to get the accent down. <laughs> One, I can see this going bad. I wish I could have been in that shop. And and two, it did, that was some wasted energy there. Like, it's not terrible. As far as an American doing a Wolverhampton accent, it's it's I, I guess it's okay. Um, but it's not consistent. It, it fluctuates to just a normal English accent to a bit of an American creeping back in. It's not fantastic. Um, and yeah, it just never really... It, it could not hold my attention. So she starts off like she just wants to be um, a rock journalist. And she just kind of ends up getting like a joke interview at Smash Hits. But they say, oh, all right, we'll, give, we'll throw her a bone. But she just loves everything, and they just keep rejecting it, so she turns into, like, a bitch, and she just starts writing these horrible reviews, regardless of the quality of the thing. And that works really well for her, everyone likes her, but it turns out the joke's on her, and no one actually likes her, and da-da-da-da-da, and it's all about growing and be- being yourself and all that good tosh. But it's just not done in an imaginative way, it's just kind of... It's there. It never Like, Paddy Constantine as a dad gets a few good laughs, um he's like the probably the highlight of the movie um but that that's about it the main attraction is where's this accent going what is it <laughs> where's it going is this Where like, on the scale oh, is it? who was it we were watching the film and you regarded the character and the accent as two different performances i can't remember oh that. no oh god it's so, oh oh it's um it's uh it's martin um martin freeman oh, and yeah. martin freeman's american accent in uh civil war that was it. Was just yeah. two separate characters. <laughs> Basically, it's Beanie Felstein and uh, Beanie Felstein's Black Country accent. <laughs> like, again, if if you weren't from the Black Country, I think you'd probably be fine with it. But being the experts, unwittingly so, that we are in the Black Country accent, <laughs> the, the ears are sharpened to this thing. And it's just kind of like, hey, it's all over the shop. It's occasionally a bit brummy, but that's acceptable. I can, I can live with that, but... Yeah, then it becomes generic London accent, then it's an American accent. It's all over the shop, but <laughs> it's not enough for me to recommend this movie. You can't give it a flying pass. Did that come out this year? Uh, it came out uh, last year, 2019, but um, it kind of got delayed onto... Um... Oh, wait, no, tell I. Oh, that it was, says... yeah, Toronto Film Festival last year, but it did come out this year. Yes. Okay, um, that's in the running for this. I might actually watch that because I'm tempted to see how bad the accent is. Uh, it's a journey. I'll give you that. It's a roller coaster, <laughs> but that, that's about it. Right, that is all my films, so carry on, Michael. Well, I have two more, but uh, I'll only do one so we can get on to other stuff. Uh, do you want to... Uh, I'll give you just A or B. Which one do you want to hear? Let's go with B. B, cool. Um, So, we've we've had comedy, we've had action, we've had parody. We have not had a genuinely heartfelt film um although technically it does build itself as a comedy drama this particular one but of the ones that i've talked about today this is by far and away the best one uh this is the king of staten island which is judd apatow's new movie uh, starring pete davidson who's going to be appearing in the suicide squad uh, next year if that actually mm-hmm. comes out next year as well as marissa tomei bill burr and steve buscemi there's a really good cast in this and there's a really good heart to this film um, it's surprising because this film is kind of it's you said the last film was kind of semi-autobiographical and this also is semi-autobiographical because um pete davidson the the main character who plays shit i can't find his name in the cast bear with me two seconds he should be first up he plays scott in this film um pete davidson actually 
um, lost his father, who was a firefighter, during 9-11. And this film is based around um, Scott as a character who unfortunately has lost his father, who was a firefighter during 9-11, and kind of puts that character in a much darker place than Pete Davidson is in currently in his career. Puts him as kind of like a you know, just creeping up on his 30s loser who lives with his mom, who wants to become a tattoo artist, although is a passable tattoo artist of best and has unfortunately given people horrific amounts of tattoos and no one wants to be his guinea pig anymore. He can't get a, a spot in a studio. They're all laughing him out the door. He does end up uh, giving a tattoo to an 11-year-old boy, which starts him on this weird adventure as his dad tries to beat the shit out of him, played by Bill Burr, who then accidentally falls in love with his mum. <laughs> so, right. so Bill Burr is dating Marissa Tomei in this movie, which is already an impossible situation. Uh, because, <laughs> uh, I mean, time has redeemed Marissa Tomei, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Spider-Man movies, for an awakening we didn't want. Um, and kind of their relationship is having an effect on Scott. And as it turns out, Bill Burr is also a firefighter, so there's tension between Scott and his mum, there's tension between uh, Scott and Bill Burr, and then eventually he kind of goes back to the fire station to face his fears and starts talking to the other people that worked there with his dad and getting all these stories. There's genuine emotion in this, and it as is actually funny. There's really only this and the A-choice in uh, what I could have talked about for my final movie that actually feel like they're funny films, like properly laugh out loud, funny films. Um, If you want something that is funny, but also does have a really, a really nice emotional dramatic edge, then I really do recommend the King of Staten Island. It is on Amazon prime. Um, Again, would have been coming to cinemas, but uh, the event has put it into the hands of streaming services. I think this would have done really well had it gone to cinema, to be honest. Maybe not in this country, but I think critically this would have done fantastic. Um, yeah, it's it's just perfect. It's not perfect, but you know what I mean? Like For what it needs to be, a small budget movie about, you know, kind of finding yourself again after horrific tragedy mm-hmm. and the awkwardness and funny moments that come out of the situations that, that you throw up and the guards that you put yourself against... And then contrasting that with the things that you are comfortable with, there are some really great sequences in this film of just Pete Davidson taking Bur- uh, Bill Burr's kids to school. And they're so good. Like, you, you get a really good sense, a really well-rounded character in Scott. You get the sense of, of course, he'd be good with children because he is basically a child himself. But that actually shows his paternal side. Ah, oh, there's so many layers to this film. This actually might go up. Now I'm thinking about it now. This actually might climb up the rankings into my top ten. It's really, really good. Cool. What was the A choice, or do you want to keep that a mystery? Um, I'll tell you now. It was Palm Springs, the new Andy Samberg Netflix movie. Are you sure you don't want to talk about that? Uh, very quickly, it's very good. Sweet. Uh, I'm going to put that on the list if I remember which keyboard is plugged in. Cool, we are learning so much together. Right, uh, shall we jump into TV? Let's do that. Um, great, so um, I've watched a lot of TV shows, so there's already a problem brewing on the horizon because The Mandalorian and This Is Us Season 5 come out on the same day. Oh, shit. Uh, so there's going to be a conflict in this house <laughs> over which one we watch first. Um, I... I phew, 
we'll have to see who wins that fight. Um, so, uh, first and foremost, uh, I still haven't watched the, the final episode. Uh, that is going to be watched, hopefully, either tonight or tomorrow. But The Boys Season 2 has been real good. You need to tell me about this, because I've still not got through Season 1, because the bit... Uh, oh, what's the? Is it? Is the guy just called Invisible? The, oh, the guy translucent. The fir- translucent. The guy that they. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that. So we can't put that on at the same time we eat because it makes my wife feel <laughs> ill. So uh, yeah, we haven't got through season one yet. Season two continues in that vein. Um, it's yeah, it's a bit much. Uh, my fiance is in the same boat of like we can only watch one episode at a time. Um, because it's just it's very graphic apparently it's toned down from uh what the comic book was doing oh my god have you read the comic book i haven't oh it's so good oh it's right so okay. good um see I, I think season two has just carried on the momentum of the first season um it depends on how much you you get out of um well i cannot remember his name my god my brain isn't working carl urban uh, yeah, Billy Butcher, played by Carl Urban. It yeah. depends on how much of tolerance you have for that character. <laughs> for that invisible cunt. Yeah. <laughs> he uses the C word with such reckless abandon that it loses all <laughs> meaning. It's basically every other word in some of these episodes. Um, it also depends on your tolerance level of uh, Homelander, who's played by uh, Anthony Starr. Because he is a great almost Joffrey Lannister levels of, Joffrey Baratheon even, levels of bad guy. Of just, my God, you want to see him get taken down a peg. And it just, he always finds a way to get worse. And it's getting, it's getting like nuclear levels of like, okay, I just need someone to kill him at this point. Because, like, I don't want this series to drag on and on and on and on, you know, the, the fate of Homelander. Um, because you just really want to see him go down. I feel like if they drag it on for like anything past maybe a third season, it's going to start getting quite irritating. I'm ready for him to die now. Um, I might get that wish. I haven't seen the finale yet, but we'll see. Um, it's 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 doing a really good job of balancing violence and good action with like a very good romantic subplot between uh, Huey, played by Jack Quaid, and uh, Starlight, played by Erin uh, Moriarty, uh-oh, um, and <laughs> and genuinely good comedy. The guy who plays the Deep, uh, Chase Crawford, um, he's basically the Aquaman um, facsimile in this. He's, like, he's, in the start of the first season, you just think he's a dickhead, and he is. But he has a downward spiral over the course of the back end of season one and into season two. And he's genuine, like... Every scene he's in, he does something very funny because he's just such an idiot. Like, he's just a <laughs> five-star fucking dumbass that it's just brilliant, like, some of the stuff. So I can't tell you about there being spoilers, but, um, you know, I can't even tell you any of his jokes because they're all spoilers, but just trust me on this one. He has a great comic turn in basically every episode that he's in. It's got a good mystery going throughout it. They've added new nuance to the new character of, uh, what is her name, Stormfront, who is the storm analogy um allegory even uh, played by aya cash um is a great new addition to the seven um yeah it's it's really worth taking like there are some very terrible moments of violence that if you're not that way inclined to seeing people's like face ripped off i don't mean head face ripped off and you see this the bone underneath this ain't for you 
But uh, I'm really liking it. It's my fa- it's it's up there as maybe it's I don't know if it's gonna be my favorite TV show of the year, but it, it's gonna be tr- it's gonna be troubling the uh, the top five. I would have thought. Interesting, interesting. I do need to get on the boys. That does need to happen. I also need to actually finish watching the um the HBO Watchmen thing because that sounds like the boys, but with none of the comedy. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that, I, I've been told that. Well, that it won a shit ton of awards, didn't it, Watchmen? In the end, it did. But it hasn't been renewed for season two. It so, hasn't. Oh. No, now they dropped it. So unless it has a nice resolution, I'm a bit worried about starting it in case it ends on a cliffhanger. But at the same time, it is only like eight episodes and then you're done. So True. I think I watched the first episode and then just never got round to watching the second one. So maybe I do need to get back on that. Cool. Uh, I, I kind of had like a weird dip into um, the documentaries of TV because mm. the, all the documentary shows that have been propping up on streaming services have been appearing in best TV of the year articles. Uh, with mixed reactions, to be honest with you, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. ranging from this is actually brilliant to this could have been really good if they haven't done this to why the fuck am I watching this? Um, right. Where shall we start? Let's start with the one that is currently on my top five, but may change, uh, which is McMillions, um, which is a, a HBO documentary series based around the McDonald's Monopoly game fraud scheme. Right. Yeah. A selection of words that put together sound uh, real strange, but it's actually true. I mean, the peel, you know, the peel and play Monopoly game that McDonald's has. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, in America, um, it turns out that every single winner of that game from a certain date, like between the years of like, I think it's 96 and 2001, mm-hmm. were predetermined. And I don't want to, luckily I won't actually spoil the documentary by telling you how it happened because the intrigue is not in the how, it's in the why. Right. Um, it, it was kind of played up by these dudes who ran the printing factory, well, one of the guys who worked there and was responsible for delivering the winning pieces, uh, but he'd swap the winning pieces out for basic ones and then give the winning pieces to other people on the proviso that they basically give him a cut of the prize money, which the top prize money at that point was a million dollars. And he Ooh. had access to the million dollar pieces, the $500,000 pieces, the $25,000 pieces, the pieces that gave you cars, the pieces that gave you boats, the all this shit. He had every single fucking one. And by getting involved in all the, all these weird activities that actually ended up getting a, a member of the New Jersey mafia on his side, um he, this web is created of these winners um and all these weird and wonderful characters are found to have won quote unquote uh vast cash prizes and as it turns out they are a part of a bigger machination the reason that this is actually on the top five of the minute for me um is the way that it is edited and put together the production quality on this series is through the fucking roof it's so mm-hmm. good the the first episode especially has the right kind of balance of kind of storytelling, getting you invested in the players, specifically the police side of things in the first episode, and recreating some of the drama. Almost feels like a drama documentary at points. It almost feels like you're watching like a a serialized... You know how uh, Zac Efron did that Ted Bundy movie? Yes. It almost feels like that at points. If there was no narration, you could be forgiven for thinking you are watching a drama. It is very, very well put together 
very well cleverly edited. The problem is it is only six episodes long and the sheen dips around episode four. Right. And we get a lot more two camera stuff, which isn't as inventively shot or inventively presented, edited. It, it doesn't. It starts to get bogged down in going through every single strand on the uh, on the conspiracy and explaining who every single person is and every single action they took, as opposed to going through the energy that they had in the first three episodes of what route did the police investigation follow? We have to go off and have the character history lesson. It's like it's like you're trying to run a D&D campaign, but everybody wants to read out their backstory every time they're mentioned. Right. It, it, it gets to that level of points. Um, and that's really the, the only thing that's dragging it down. Uh, other than that, though, my God, is it slick. It's very good. And it's, it's one of those things that, like, it, I won't say it keeps you guessing, but it does have some swerves in the story, uh, e even knowing how this ended. And I did know how this story ended because I was I think I learned about the the Monopoly fraud in like a game theory video or a food mm -hmm. theory video. He's got like five channels. Um, so I knew exactly how it ended. I didn't know quite why it is that they even cottoned on to this f scam in the first place, because the thing goes unchecked for years. They only catch up with these guys in like 2003. It's really quite oh. a ride. What's this on? Um, this is on HBO. So uh, uh. at the moment, this is on uh, an app that I can stream with on my phone that shall not be named. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm sure it's on. I've, I've subscribed to all the bloody subscription channels other than Apple because I'm not an idiot. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do some digging, see if I can pull that out. I, should we make this a bit of a documentary section? Yeah, I'm happy to. Oh, good, because I was going to say this for the end, because I know you're going to be interested in these. Let's get ready to talk about Michael's favourite subject, sport documentaries. Oh, God. Being the big manly fucker that you are, you love sport in all of its forms. So I'll his... take big, I won't <laughs> take manly. <laughs> if you didn't know, Michael, Michael has the same tolerance towards sport that I do towards milk. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, that sounds a bit right. It's not, not his cup of tea, but uh, there are some... Astoundingly good sport documentaries out at the moment. So Amazon has got a series called All or Nothing, where they just basically bed in with whatever team they want to over the course of the year. I've watched two and a half so far. So I've watched both of their football football ones. They did one uh, where they were in bed with Man City for the whole year. Um, it's it's a puff piece. Obviously, Man City get final say on it. So they picked a good season. It was a season where Man City won the league and topped out a hundred points. Um, the only genuine criticism I have of they don't bother putting subtitles on when people speak in their natural in their native languages, and Man City is full of a lot of people from South America and from all over the shop. So I had to put subtitles on because they would just be talking to someone speaking English, and then Sergio Aguero would pop up speaking Argentinian or Portuguese, and uh, I'd have no clue what he was saying because I didn't feel I needed subtitles. I was just meant to read body language or something. So. That was fun. Uh, anyway, so they've done Man City. They then did uh, Tottenham, which was Tottenham's last season, um, which they sacked the manager, got Mourinho in, and then had COVID hit them. Um, so that was that was slightly more entertaining, I thought, than the first one, because a lot goes wrong, and that's just inherently more interesting in sports documentaries. Uh, I'm watching one now about the Arizona Cardinals, my American football team. Uh, I'm only a few episodes in, but it was the last season where they were good. Uh, unfortunately, I know how it ends because they didn't make it to the Super Bowl that season. But that's 
it's Americans, and they're just inherently more fun to watch in documentaries, I think. Um, they're just a bit more showy. So that's been good so far. Um, there was one on the WWE Network called Undertaker The Last Ride about The Undertaker finally, big air quotes, retiring, um, <laughs> where they basically um, chronicled his last three or four WrestleManias. So at this point, they only wheeled The Undertaker out for WrestleMania most of the time. Uh, and it was kind of him basically trying to have his last match of having one that he's so satisfied with. He can say, I'm good. I can walk away. And like his regrets of like, well, I should have done it at this point, but I had to come back because business is down and all this stuff. It's a very like The Undertaker has been like the most kayfabe protected wrestler in history. You didn't know, you know, obviously people knew his real name and knew he was married at some point, but he never did interviews he was never, um, never like shown out of character ever. So this was like the documentary of like finally, finally peeling back the curtain on like his 30 years worth of wrestling experience. And it's just so fascinating to finally get to know the dude. Like it's had a problem of like once this, once this happened, the, the floodgates have opened and now he's on Instagram, which is weird. Um, he was spotted in Nando's in Glasgow of all places. <laughs> like a guy just said, um, my girlfriend worked at Nando's and it's like, oh, people are all like falling over this guy, but I don't know who he is. And like, she sent me a picture and it was the fucking Undertaker. Um, <laughs> just chilling in a Glasgow Nando's by himself. Um, like he's doing, he's on fucking TikTok and it's just, maybe we shouldn't have, maybe it's just too good of a thing. And now we've, it's, it's really the Undertaker, but it's, it's really good. If you're into, if you have any childhood recollections of the Undertaker, it's great. It just shows you, like, his weird, like, inability to retire of just, like, every year he's like, ah, but I feel good again and maybe I can do one more. So it's it's a hell of a thing. Apparently, it had the last episode got re-edited because Vince actually didn't want him to fully retire. So he made The Undertaker say, well, never say never, which, is, again, speaks to the wonderful, like, insight into that relationship, which is a whole thing in the documentary by itself, his relationship with Vince. Brilliant. There's also one on Edge about his return from um, like career-ending injury, so that's good to watch as well. But the big one that was like everyone's big thing to talk about for a few months when it came out was The Last Dance on Netflix, which is the documentary covering the last um, season of Michael Jordan's um, basketball career with the Chicago Bulls. Um, and about him trying to get the uh, the third championship in a row, which had never happened in NBA history. So it's about the 97 uh, Bulls under Michael Jordan. Uh, but it kind of chronicles Michael Jordan. It's basically a Michael Jordan documentary with a few ancillary characters tucked onto the end, mainly because it was produced by Michael Jordan. Um, but it is a ve- I don't give two shits about basketball. Could not care less about basketball. But... It's such an interesting documentary of like how he is like genuinely probably the best sportsman who's ever lived in terms of what he achieved, what he could do. Like he's he's the Lionel Messi of basketball, but to like an even greater extent that he dragged a team that before him had won nothing and since him has won nothing and literally dragged them by sheer force of fucking will to championship titles year after year. It is it is slightly a, a puff piece. But not to the extent the Man City documentaries, because there's a lot of stuff in there that Michael Jordan doesn't want to talk about, like his gambling problems and 
how he quit to be a baseball star for a few years, which I thought was made up for the Space Jam, but apparently it was real. No, that, um, that actually happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I found out stuff. But uh, I see, it's not even like if you like basketball, give it a watch. Like I said, I could not care less about basketball. It's a stupid sport, but it's very interesting. If you're into sports documentaries like Michael is. I'm into sports documentaries, Darren. I watched really? a sports documentary. Go on. I mean, that sport was professional cheerleading, but I did watch a documentary about it. <laughs> oh, that, okay. Genuinely, this isn't a bit. I definitely watched Cheer on Netflix. Why? It was good. It was really good. I think that there's something to be said. I don't like sports. We all know this. This is not a... Uh, you know, I'm not pulling a sneaky on you by telling you I'm not into sports. Despite so, the fact you are named after a footballer. Not named after a footballer, share a name with a footballer. I'm named after Michael Ball, which is worse. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, um, again, Cheer was one of these um, documentaries I'd seen on a list of best TV of the year. And I'm like, cheerleading? Really? This is what people want to see? And I'm like, OK, we'll give it a shot. Um so it's kind of it's about this. They're not even a university team. They're like a they're like a like a not even a community college, not a community college, but like a junior high school or a junior college or something like that mm. um, in Navarro in Texas. Um, and it's about their cheerleader team, which is for some reason up there as the best in in america i'm not obviously i'm they call it the world championships but the world you oh, know of course they fucking start, starts at the east coast and finishes at the west as far as america is concerned mm-hmm. um but you're you're basically seeing like kids sort of between the age of 17 and 19 doing what can only be described as fucking superhuman feats of gymnastics like they don't even make stuntmen do the shit that they do <laughs> it's fucking brutal it's absolutely brutal that like every episode something goes wrong it's like the way it's constructed but it's because the the coach has constructed this routine that she's like mathematically figured out if we nail all of this we will get maximum points because it covers all the criteria but it slowly breaks her team (laughs) so like one of the flyers goes down and completely wraps up her arm like they end up having to bring in another dude because he actually can't he can't throw this girl with enough force for her to get the correct rotations in it's just you see these kids just flinging themselves back and forth and you know wrapping up their ankles breaking their limbs it's ridiculous what they get them to do and yet it's one of the most character driven shows i've watched this year there's a great cast of people in this the coach is a really interesting character just due to the how she's ended up doing this you know she's i think she got like a business and economics to not economic yeah surely economics oh business shite she's got one of those degrees from like one of the top universities in america and she's coaching a cheerleading team so her story is interesting then you've got like the the kids who are like the freshers of the situation so you've got like one of the girls that can only be described as tom holland in a wig she looks just fucking like him with long hair <laughs> that is a compliment by the way <laughs> and she should be honored to look like tom she Holland. should uh, <laughs> but like she comes in and she's like the quiet demure one but she has to become like the main flyer after the 
the like the the sophomore girl like goes down with the broken arm she has to step mm. up so she's got like the kind of like the hero's journey thing going on you've got um uh, who has only just got her ged so that's like she's done like her a levels late because she was a dropout and was um hanging out with like gangs and drugs and shit and they took her on anyway and she's like a tumbler so she's got like a redemption arc going on in and amongst everybody else and then they they go and get somebody who's like so this oh, okay so there's two worlds in cheerleading there's the actual championships which is what they're doing and then there's like these like regional like leagues i guess and they get somebody who's like an instagram star like she's like if you say cheerleading you're saying gabby i think it's gabby um and they get her in, in on the team now she had no uh intention of going to college she just wanted to do cheerleading so mm. then she her challenge is that well she's now got to be juggling all these classes alongside being a, like being pushed by her parents to be like a social media personality and they're booking tours for her and getting her to do all these events but now she's got to do school as well as train for this big championships in daytona and then my favorite character is jerry who's the fucking best he's like he's a completely like out of shape nerdy incredibly gay black dude who i swear to christ is my spirit animal (laughs) because like like he goes through some like awful shit he's like he's off before the show started his mum dies um but then like all the moms at the cheer group that is in his hometown, like all put together to get him a, like funding to apply for a scholarship, which he got. And then he goes to Navarro. He doesn't make Matt to begin with, which means he's not on the team for the, the championships. But then that dude can't flip the girl quick enough. So he has to come in and he looks so out of place, but he's got so much goddamn heart and I just want him to be happy. I was really surprised at how much I like this series. There's a lot of moving parts to it, and the pace doesn't drop. Thankfully, it is only about eight episodes. I'm not sure how much you could pull out of this. It tracks like the like the three months that they've got from start of term to Daytona to put, like put this routine together and make it work. And there's a surprising amount of drama. I genuinely, genuinely highly recommend this show. I mean, there was me scoffing at you watching a cheerleading documentary, but five minutes before, I had recommended people go and watch a documentary about a man who spent 30 years pretending to be an undead satanic wizard. (laughs) So, um, you know, I get it. See, it's a good job I wasn't left in charge of editing that show, because it was up to me. With all the injuries, it would just been a woman looking into camera going, Hello, I'm Connie McQueen, and welcome to Jackass! (laughs) (laughs) It's just people smacking into the floor. I know what I'm there for. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Genuinely. You know what? That's made the list. Yeah, give that a go. I'll give it a watch. It's The thing that really surprises me is that they, they, add, they add like a little bit of perspective to the to what is what happens after they come out of the other end of college. And it turns out, fuck all. And it's <laughs> like, but it's like, it's really depressing to know that these kids are going to put so much effort and literal blood, sweat and tears into doing this. And then there's not actually any prospects after it i was like oh maybe they'll show like maybe they'll cut ahead and like 
show some kids doing stuff but then they're like no no we actually we might have like gone through all this stuff together but we still actually need to get a general education otherwise we're gonna be fucked it's like oh it's like they don't even move on to be stunt people which they totally could do but there's just like it almost feels like the university experience because the series ends and then there is a vast swathe of like what the fuck happens now (laughs) Just still the sidewalk. Come on, guys, give me a job. job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we joke, but it's very good series. Do watch it. Will do. Uh, right, moving away from the unexpected tangent into sports documentaries, um, we did a review of Umbrella Academy season two. Go and watch that. It's fucking excellent. It's so um, love it so much. Uh, we watched quite a few limited series um, that we had kind of missed out on the first wave of them being popular. Um, Chief among which was Hollywood on Netflix, which is a strange show. Um, so it's set in the golden era of Hollywood, um, so kind of post-Second World War Hollywood. Um, and it's about um, a guy. Uh, I'm going to find his name because, my God, do I want him to be Superman. Um, bear with um, you probably would have only heard about this if you have heard of it because it's starring um, Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. Uh, hang on. Oh, Jim I'm Parsons? In... Yeah, Jim Parsons is in it. Hollywood TV series is what I went to type in. Uh, it is. Um, hopefully that's the one. It was. Oh, miniseries. There it is. Um, so the main guy is called Jack Costello. He's played by a guy called David uh, Corrensweet. Please go have a look at him because, my God, does that man need to play Superman at some point? Um, he, he's, it's almost uncanny, like the uh, the Christopher Reeves comparison. It's mad how much this man should be playing Superman. Uh, he even gets the curl at one point. Anyway, um, he's playing a, an aspiring actor who has just moved out to Hollywood. He, he's in a bit of a loveless uh, marriage. He, his wife is pregnant, but they're not really like together together. He's just all in on trying to be an actor. Um, it takes a bit of a diversion into the unexpected world of male prostitution. Um, oh, where he, he, yeah, he joins like um, a gas station where that's basically a front for a, like a male prostitution ring where they're all aspiring actors, but they are all the like old ladies of Hollywood, all these like, you know, lonely housewives of studio producers who've just got loads of money and nothing better to do just pop in and, like, ask for, like, the full service, and the guy gets in the car with him, goes and does their business, and he ends up sleeping with someone who is the wife of a, um, a, a major studio, and he does such a good job of the rogering that uh, he gets an in, he gets, like, a... It's all about the inner politics of um, Hollywood. You feel like it's trying to tell, like, you know, this story could have happened in Hollywood, but then it takes a turn, because the main crux of the movie becomes them trying to put together the first ever major studio picture starring an African-American woman. Um, So obviously we know that didn't happen, so that's when it kind of goes off. But it also involves real people. So Rock Hudson, like the 1940s and 50s actor, turns up in this. Oh, shit. Um, Yeah, and clearly has like, well, they're playing Rock Hudson, not the actual Rock Hudson. I think he's dead. Um, Yeah, he's definitely uh, dead. So he pops up. So you're like, oh, so it's based on real life and it kind of goes into his personal life a little bit of like how he knew he was gay and stuff and jim parsons is his manager but then you know it's not real so it's this weird mixing of stuff but it really kind of works it it shouldn't but it's it's a relatively well put together show and has a lot of interesting different things going on 
Um, the fact it's hitting you over the head with this diversity thing. And do you ever intend to watch this show? I, I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I'll, I'll leave off the major spoilers there because I would recommend it. It is, a, it is a mini-series. I think it's only six episodes long and they're all about an hour long anyway. So you can get through this relatively quickly. Um, but it, it kind of goes into a route of where it feels like it's overly pandering. It's just trying to be a box-ticking exercise in some way. But mm. it's relatively well acted. It's beautifully shot. My God, does it make you really wish you could get in a time machine and go back to like 1940s LA because it looks spectacular how they've done this it, it's very very well shot um and, and most of the plot lines have like a, a relatively satisfactory ending it's all a bit simple there's nothing complicated going on here but it was i didn't i, I didn't get to the end and go well we wasted our time on that i genuinely enjoyed myself fair enough that that's something i might look into because i'm, I'm all for um i'm all for a good american period drama because you know they don't they don't get to do like they don't get to do like old history shit it's all relatively recent which means they might actually yeah. hold like some kind of like <laughs> political significance which is always nice yeah exactly and and trust me you want to watch it because if and when um they get off the hype of trying to make um uh, what's his name who's actually playing superman at the moment um De- henry cavill henry once henry cavill finally gives up the ghost of playing superman this is trust me this is the guy you want to get to uh play superman when it's that time again because he looks the second i saw him i was like that's fucking superman (laughs) (laughs) that's sorted good so that's uh that's the guy that's going to be in a bunch of your um your pitches going forward i take it oh yeah 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 yeah. second i get to pitch a superman movie i found him um (laughs) nice how old is he please tell me he's not too old uh, oh, he's only 27. Absolutely fucking perfect. Yep, that's my guy. <laughs> that's the guy, then. <laughs> cool. Um, I don't really have another... I can run down a couple of things that I've kind of watched in passing but haven't finished and therefore I don't feel like I can um, give much of a review to and then we'll move on to games. Um, I've got quite a few more, but yeah, I'll do them pretty rapid fire as well. Okay, I'm just going to go rapid fire on the things I haven't finished watching yet. Uh, we started Mrs. America the other night. That is the new Cate mm-hmm. Blanchett um Again, another recent his- history drama uh, based around the life and works of Phyllis Schlafly, uh, who was a conservative lobbyist. Um, it's uh, it concerns like the the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment, um, which mm. uh, it's basically like second wave suffragettes that kind of stuff. Um, it's set in the sixties. It's got some great um, kind of like time grading, although the costumes are a little bit off. The first episode takes place in uh, 71, and it feels like it's taking place in the 50s. It's a bit weird. Um, hopefully that does improve as it goes on. Uh, Rose Byrne is really quite good in this as Gloria Steinem. Kate Blanchett is good, but I don't know why this series is focused. It, it's an interesting take to have your main character be the antagonist in a show concerning women's equal rights. It's, mm. it's, a, it's an out-there concept, but it works as so far as there is drama to be had. Um, although, really, I actually just kind of want to see Rose Byrne and Margot Martindale. Just every time they turn up as that pair of Gloria and Bella, they're, they're so good. Especially Margot Martindale. Like, I think I, I really, like... I, I twigged onto her when I started watching The Americans. I was like, she's fucking good. And then you remember all the shit she's been in, and she's just as good in this series. She's really, mm. really great. Um 
John Slatter is in this as well, which is weird to see a version of um, good old Papa Stark just being like this sideline character. And I do feel like this series is going to go, like you said about uh, Hollywood, into this kind of virtue signal in space. But it's not done it yet. Um, it does seem to be holding back on that. Obviously, there is a pertinent point that, yes, everyone should be treated equally. But it's interesting putting the opposite side of that argument at the forefront of like why would women want to be equal when we have this benefit and that benefit but it's from the eyes of a conservative so obviously it's not meant to be an argument you take seriously if you're you know in any way a liberal which i am it's a very weird interesting series i think it will be good by the time we get to the end but at the minute it's kind of it's still yet to prove itself fair enough speaking sorry as of henry cavill I've got a movie I watched. Um, we should tell you how rememberable Enola Holmes is. Oh, um, I haven't seen that yet. It's it's fine. It's a it's a um, story about Sherlock Holmes' uh, long lost sister, played by uh, Millie Bobby Brown, Eleven from Stranger Things. Uh, again, fine. I think that's why I kind of forgot that I'd watched it because it doesn't really leave an impact, but neither in a good nor bad way. Um, it feels like it's primed for a better sequel. Um, but Minnie Bo Brown's pretty likable in it. Um, she's uh, she speaks she's breaking the fourth wall all the time. So um, yeah, that's fine. Henry Cavill plays uh, Sherlock Holmes, but it's very much in a reduced capacity. He's only in a few scenes. It's very much about Enola. It feels best set up for a sequel, like I said. It was going to be a theatrical release, but due to everything, it got brought by Netflix. Um, so it's on there if you want to give that a watch. It's 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 not overly long either. It's fine. Give it a watch. Um, okay, real quick. Uh, that we watched Upload on Amazon Prime, um, which is about um, it's a it's a concept of when you die, you get uploaded into like basically a video game, but it's not like you know you're not running around in like fucking Doom or anything. Um, it's depending on how wealthy you are, you can afford different levels of the afterlife when you get uploaded, um, and uh, your boy uh, played by uh, the guy who plays Green Arrow's brother. Uh, let me find his name. Um, he was in uh, like the um, Legends of Tomorrow as Firestorm. Uh, oh, guy. I know his face, but I can't think of his name. His name is Robbie Amell. Ah, oh, there um, we go. So cool. Stephen Amell's brother. Uh, he's the main guy in this. Um, there's not really a lot of well-known people in it. I haven't recognised anybody else in it. Um, but yeah, so he gets uploaded um, on his girlfriend's account. His girlfriend that he was going to break up with. He dies in mysterious circumstances because he was working on a free version of the afterlife where everyone can get the high quality stuff without having to pay for it um but his girlfriend's super rich and you know before he gets to break up that he dies under mysterious circumstances and he gets to go to this very luxurious tier of the afterlife service in like a very five-star hotel and it's it's a it's a very over-the-top concept but it kind of works because it's well acted and it's got some nice human stories in there like they dip into like the crazy reality of it all from time to time when it suits the plot it's neither the most funny thing I've seen, nor is it the best acted, but it finds a nice balance of both enough to be interesting. And it ends on, like, a very nice cliffhanger for the second one. Um, not in terms of, like, a you know a new change to the status quo or anything, or the mystery or whatever. It's um, It ends on, like a, like, a very romantic thing has just happened. A big shift in the romantic subplot happens just before the end of the last episode. So I'm looking forward to season two of that. Um... Next up, uh, we watched the new Maisie Williams miniseries that Sky One had called Two Weeks Left to Live, um, which was, again, 
fine. Um, it's nice to see Maisie Williams doing something else other than Game of Thrones. I know she was in New Mutants, but we've, I've already forgotten about New Mutants, and I liked it. Um, it's about her. Um, basically, she's been... Um, she lived with her mom in a very, very, very isolated way for, like, all of her life. And she's finally, like, managed to escape. Not in, like, her mom's Eva or anything, but they just were, like, living off the land, keeping off the grid. And she just wanted to go out for her 18th birthday to see what the world was like for two weeks. Um, and it, she, she's... You have to watch it, because if I give anything else away, it kind of spoils the, the concept. It's nothing over the top. It's just a silly British comedy with that... Um, concept kind of underpinning everything again perfectly fine i liked it we've paired through it in about three days so i can give that a pretty big thumbs up um <laughs> i need to speak about something very silly uh, we watched a lot of stand-ups on netflix netflix and amazon prime are overflowing with stand-ups really huh. um yeah a few to, to watch out for eliza scherslinger i cannot pronounce that last name uh an american female comic she's pretty good she's got about five netflix specials so you can go and watch them um they're they're fairly decent um ali wong we watched her stand up one she's um the main woman in fresh off the boat um and always be my maybe um again i I didn't like that one as much that wasn't as great uh daniel slosher has got two netflix specials daniel slosher is really funny you should go and watch him he's a young scottish comedian do go check him out have you ever seen or heard of, Mackle, someone called Hannah Gadsby? I haven't, no. Right, because we went on, like, articles saying, what's the best Netflix stand-up special? And every single one of them said Hannah Gadsby, Nanette, is the best stand-up routine on Netflix. And I was like, cool, I've never heard of her, she's an Australian uh, comedian. I was like, let's give her a go. Oh boy, does this take a turn. Wait, what? Like, it's like, like, like fairly tepid stand-up material. It's fine. She's talking about, you know, being, um, I think she's a bisexual or lesbian, but she, she's talking about some of the experience about there. But then, it just takes a turn. It takes a very serious turn when she starts talking about, like, her past life and how she's, like, about representation of her community and feeling misrepresented. And it just turns into, like, she just gets very angry and starts having like a proper emotional deep rant about representation and feeling isolated and all this stuff that's happened to her and it just like it's not meant to be funny at that point obviously but it just it's such a left turn that you don't <laughs> see coming that like, Rachel dozed off during like the the comedy because we were watching in bits and she like dozed off when she was still doing her tepid stand-up thing I was kind of like half paying attention on my phone and this started, and Rachel woke up in the middle of it because of all the shouting. It's like, what has gone on? I was like, this has turned. Um, <laughs> Something's happened. I Oh, God. So I, I think that that meant that people felt like it was an important show. And don't get me wrong, she, some very bad things have happened to her. And it, it's it's worth watching just to, to see, like, a room, like, the tone shift and, like, people laughing too. When she's, like mid-rant and takes a breath or like a pause or something there's no like the usual like clapping everyone like everyone just stuns silence at this woman and then she like tries to go back into a stand-up routine and then goes off on another like big speech at the end right watch it for the roller coaster maggle like i can't say i enjoyed it because it's just such like a like a horrible thing to listen to but it feels like i imagine this helped a lot of people 
Like, genuinely, I think that's why it was ranked as the best. Not because it's the funniest, but because it mainly had the most impact on everyone who's watched it. I was just... I, it was like half past midnight on a sad day. I wasn't in the mood for a big emotional, you know, two hours worth of comedy. I just wanted, like, you know, if Lee Evans had turned up in the middle of it, I think I would have been, like, fine. I was just in for some silly comedy, and this is not that. I, I you wanted, a, I, You wanted a comedy show, not Ted Talk. <laughs> essentially yes please please don't make me seem like i'm belittling or in any way devaluing what you were saying it's very very like important and impactful but i just it wasn't it wasn't what i was expecting uh at all i really should have probably read the reviews and not just going oh everyone said this lady is the one to go for so yeah if, if you're ready for a stand-up thing like you've never seen before watch that if you're in this like maybe i was in more for the mood of something else we watch on netflix called the floor is lava uh let me explain <laughs> the floor is lava to you which is a lot more my speed. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. People, Americans obviously, are put in a room where the floor is lava. Basically, there's a big water pit they've dyed red. Um, and there's like obstacles you have to jump from one side of the room to the other. So they're all themed rooms. There's like a bedroom, a kitchen, um, the study, etc. And the you know, there's, there's teams of three. And you, to qualify, you have to get all three people across or finish in the fastest time. Um, and because it's Americans, they treat it like it's tongue in cheek, obviously, but they treat it as kayfabe that it's actual lava. So when they fall in, when they fall off something they were trying to grab onto and fall into the lava, they full on don't come back up. You don't see them like come up and go, oh, I'm out. They like they're. Colleagues go, no, Matt, oh my God, because the guys fell into some red water. Um, right. Even including, like, if they fall off slowly and, like, they're a bit of a character, they will do the full-on Terminator, like, thumbs up as they go down <laughs> into the lava. It's got the silly Takeshi's Castle, like, vibe to it. It's just funny to watch people fail and, like, jump and smack into, like, something face first and then tumble into red water. Uh, but you're very efficient schlock. Watch that. The last thing, I promise the last thing I need to talk about. Uh, it's a series called Ghosts. Have you seen this, Mark? It's on BBC One. Uh, I don't think so, no. It's by the Horrible Histories team. Okay, now and, I'm in. <laughs> right. So I've never watched the Horrible History stuff. Um, but I've heard, like, even though it's like a kid's show, it's actually genuinely pretty funny. Um, oh, yeah. Horrible so, Histories is fucking brilliant. So it's by that team. Um, there's been two series of it, and like all British shows, there are only six episodes in each season, so you can get it done pretty quickly. The second season, I think, is airing at the moment on BBC One, but they've got all episodes available like on like, as a box set. Um, so the general concept is um, two people end up inheriting like a, a big old mansion out in the countryside, and they decide they're going to turn it into um, they're going to turn it into a hotel. Uh, the girl who buys it. Um, and uh, I think it's something Richie, Charlotte Richie, um, who's been in, uh, she was in Fresh Meat and she's in um, called The Midwife. She's been in loads of things. Uh, she has like a head injury early on and then she can see all the ghosts that haunt this place, which is played by all the horrible histories people. So there's like uh, a scape master from the 80s. There's a corrupt politician from the 90s. There's like a Jacobean um, woman. There's like an Elizabethan woman, uh, an old, like a dead ass poet. Um the guy whose head is off and the body can't figure out where the head is, so on and so <laughs> forth. I watched it thinking, this looks real dumb. And I, Oh, and there's a caveman as well. Um, I was like, this looks real silly. 
I don't think I'm going to like this. Uh, we've watched all 12 episodes in the space of a week. So, nice. uh, yeah, it's just dead silly British comedy, but it's kind of endearing and it really works. Um, so I would give that probably of everything I've just talked about here other than the boys. I'd give this a very big recommendation. It's it's switch off your brain stuff. Yeah, I don't need to overthink it, but it's genuinely like a nice warm and fuzzy show. And I think the world needs that right now. So, yeah, Ghosts on BBC One. However, Give it a watch. However, if you're uh, looking for a replacement for Black Mirror, because that's not been very good, uh, I'd like to give an honourable mention to Inside Number 9, which had its fifth series this uh, this year. Um, the fifth series is not the strongest, um, mm. but I would recommend it. All of it is on iPlayer. Go and watch Inside Number 9. I don't want to give you any... Other than saying it is a black comedy horror anthology series written by the people who do The League of Gentlemen, and don't let that put you off. Oh, I hate The League of Gentlemen. The, honestly, this is fucking brilliant. There's there's one, epi- okay. there's one episode. It's not a fun time. All of the episodes are very dark and very horrible. Right. But there is a specific episode called The Twelve Days of Christine, mm-hmm. which might be one of the best half hours of television I've ever seen. Like, Jesus, okay fucking incredible and um, there are some really good episodes there's there, it's only six it's six episodes a series there's five seasons now um and they're only half an hour if you're stuck for something to watch and you don't mind watching something that can go down a very dark or depressing route do watch inside number nine holy shit it's good righty ho i'll keep that is on the list right that is me done for tv yeah, I, I, there's there's bits and bobs I've started and haven't finished and don't really care to talk about, to be honest. I'm, I'm done with TV. <laughs> there's this uh, horrible recurring one on BBC One on a Saturday night about half ten called Match of the Day. Um, <laughs> you don't... You don't need to watch that because it's just, it's just horrible. It's just never-ending, ceaseless misery every week, so you don't need to watch that. We're not won a game yet, basically. No. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Played four, lost three, drawn one. Not good. <laughs> Poor. We're the peasants of the league now. Got no money. Got no fans. Uh, yeah. So that's an no unending fans. ceaseless night. Got no fans. That's an unending ceaseless nightmare on BBC One on a Saturday night, so you don't need to watch that anymore. Oh, fun. Yeah. I, I ha- Games. I hadn't actually caught up with the season. I don't I don't follow football, funnily enough. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't need to. It's already <laughs> looking like a write-off. I have accepted in my heart of hearts that we're going to get relegated this season. <laughs> Because I promised, I promised my fiance this would be the season where I would let football not impact my mood as much. I picked a hell of a fucking <laughs> But maybe it's good. I've had to accept that we're already doomed four games into the season, just so it doesn't impact my mood. But then Aston Villa went and beat Liverpool 7-2 the other day. So the, life found other ways to wind me the fuck up. <laughs> Video games, Michael. Video games. Here's what we'll be discussing in the next episode. Hi, it's Mike from The Editing Bait. We are going to have to split this episode into two parts, unfortunately, because we rambled on for far, far too long. Uh, but until the next episode comes out, you can go and find me on Twitter and Instagram at ThatMikeOwen. You can go and follow Darren on Twitter and Instagram at Guttridge. You can follow the site on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook under the username FowlyNT. That's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you pick up your RSS feeds. And you can go to FowlEntertainment.com for more stuff like this. And we will see you for part two of the Media of Lockdown Revenge episode. Bye, everybody! Bye, everybody!